0: Hello, it's Matthew Grant, partner at Interstate London, and welcome to our 15th podcast. Uh, Interstate London, if you haven't already come across us, is one of the largest networks around the world bringing together insurers, startups, early stage companies, and everybody interested in innovation, data, and analytics in the insurance world Uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast if you'd like to learn more about us and come along to one of our monthly events please take a look at our website www.instec.london we're delighted to bring you this time a recording from a webinar we ran recently talking to three of the leading people at three uh, leading insurance brokers talking about how they're using data and analytics and what we had is a very sort of practical discussion about how people in all sizes of organisations ranging from Aeon to Hyperion or to, to Clear um, can actually make some really practical differences around innovation and the use of data analytics. So our thanks to Novidea for sponsoring this and also for being one of our supporters at Instate London and with that here is the webinar. Welcome everybody to our NVIDIA sponsored event on insurance brokers and how they are using technology, uh, data and analytics successfully uh, in, their, in, in their growing businesses. As all of you will be aware, insurance brokers like everybody in insurance today is looking at how uh, you or they can best use data analytics in their business. InsureTech has got a lot of coverage in the last few years and we're starting to hear about uh, artificial intelligence, big data, blockchain. Um, and we're all encouraged to be innovative. But with all this activity going on, it can be hard to know, to know where to start. So today, I'm delighted to be joined by three leading figures from insurance broking who all in their own, and in you know, somewhat different ways, have been using data analytics in their, in their own organizations to achieve some growth. Lynn Grobler is the CIO of Hyperion, one of the fastest growing insurance brokers. Uh, ben Rose is a lead consultant at Aon, one of the largest insurance brokers in the world, and Howard Lickens is the founder of Clear Insurance. Uh, so I'd like to just ask a question to, to Lynn first of all. Um, Lynn, you've joined the insurance world from outside of the industry, you've got an organisation that has uh, grown fast in the last few years, but I'd be interested if you could just say a few words about the company, and then also what are your impressions as an outsider coming into the insurance industry?
1: Thank you very much and uh, thanks for having me join today. Yes, so I joined Hyperion Insurance nearly three years ago now, um, although in Hyperion years, I think that's probably like 30 years ago actually. Um, We're a very fast-moving company, fast-growing, should I say, and fast-moving for that matter. Um, Highly successful broking company and we sort of operate right across the, the chain of distribution from retail to specialty, wholesale and underwriting, and we're in um, 38 countries around the world. We um, have made lots of acquisitions over time, our CEO, David Howden, um, started the company in the early 1990s, it was just him and two other people, and we've grown now to be about 4,500 people. And we've grown through organic and inorganic growth through acquisitions. So. Later on, when we start talking about data, you you can imagine some of the challenges that we have with these disparate groups of of data around our company. How does that differ for me, having come from a very large corporation in oil and gas? I was with BP for many years. It it is very different. Um, You know, that was a big corporate. Our challenges there were probably more um, political rather than you know, the fact that the data was, was um, not rich. So the, the oil and gas data is rich. It's many years old. You've got lots of data to deal with. But, you know, any company that, that I've worked closely with, I'm also on the board of a bank, we all struggle with the quality of data and our ability to get our arms around that data, to call it the same thing so that we can slice and dice it and get some clear answers. So I think that's a similarity, certainly, that I'm finding here at Hyperion.
0: Great. I imagine you're bringing some, some very sort of clear thinking to Hyperion in terms of some of the lessons from, from the oil and gas industry. Um, so Ben, just turning to you, you joined Lloyd's, I think, five years ago. Um, you're now with Aon, very large organisation. You know, how, how do you ensure that your influence actually has a meaningful impact on what Aon is, is doing around the world?
2: I think it's, it's an interesting thing to mention, actually, my Lloyd's background, because I came, you know, initially into the insurance market, uh, seeing the real centre of this debate around how the industry should change, particularly around the traditional insurance transaction. Uh, but then actually moving to Aon more recently has opened up much more than just an insurance broker. You're actually looking at, you know, a leading global professional services firm dealing with, you know, the risk side, but also retirement, health, etc., and a huge number of shared solutions and services. Uh, that go with that. Uh, being a part of that Aon piece is obviously challenging for any individual. Uh, I'm in London, which is luckily the heart of a lot of the activity, uh, and the main challenges that I'm facing are around, firstly, how do we help our clients, uh, so Aon's insurance clients who are dealing with you know a huge range of emerging risks, uh, challenges around how they grow, uh, and also once they, they do grow, you know, how do they cover those those new angles that they're pursuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Secondly, the the other big angle I look at is how we help insurers to enable those clients uh, and to support those clients in the best way possible. And thirdly, I try and work out how we can use technology, data and analytics to support Aon itself. Uh, Most of my work being part of an entity within Aon called Aon InPoint uh, is around effectively leveraging data, analytics, consulting and engagement to support insurance carriers so that they can do a better job for our clients who are facing this changing set of risks. Uh, I'll talk a bit more about some examples as we go on, I'm sure.
0: Great. So, yeah, no shortage of things to do. And I think it'll be interesting to dig into some examples. Um, Howard, I mean, in some ways, you are probably here representing sort of many brokers out there that, that are not as big as Aon or, or as sort of fast growing as Hyperion. But you yourself have been very successful. You sit on the, the Bieber Innovation um, Group, you've made some acquisitions around technology. Um, how, so how do, you, how do you see the world as somebody who's sort of seen the old, the old world of broking and, and the, sort of the, the future now with data and technology becoming more available?
3: Yes, I mean, I, I'd love to say I, I've been broking for probably 40 years. I'd love to say how the amazing revolution I've witnessed, but all I've really seen is emails introduced into what was a pretty inefficient system. So to me, technology is is fundamental, but, it, but it's nowhere near there as yet. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm massively outgunned by my, my two colleagues here when running much bigger businesses. Mine is a much more meat and potatoes problem. I, you know, I, I have lots of clients who need some service and the chaotic way that particularly commercial brokers have been managing their data, um, it's, it's just, it's a, it's been allowed to carry on, but it shouldn't be.
0: So I think Howard, just tying up something Lynn, Lynn, you said about uh, yeah, I think you put put it quite politely when you said you come from from your previous role and and that you sort of find it quite interesting moving into the into the broken world. But I I, I think there's inter- that can be a euphemism for uh, a chaotic in Howard's words. So perhaps you could, could you just talk a little bit about that issue around data quality that you're seeing, and um, I, think, I think it's an interesting aspect of that in the sense that you know, how do you balance dealing with the data you've got in the organisation and are trying to collect versus the ability to innovate and do some new and different things and how do you sort of how do you spend your time or focus between improving the internal information and accessing new information
1: it's a really good point so so yes you know you walk around Lloyd's of London and you do still see people with folders under their arm and inside of the, those folders is sometimes the only place where certain data is stored and another problem we have is you know the fact that in broking it's such a relationship driven um, industry that and especially in specialty broking where our brokers um, will have, they'll really have a good grip on their own portfolio and they'll know their own data really well because it's not a lot of data. And therefore there's not much in it for them to put it into a system unless they have to. And there's not much in it for them to be fed back from the IT department, that same data, which frankly, they already know inside out. So for us in Hyperion, part of what we're doing is saying, okay, so at the top of the house, um, at the exco level at the board level our investors they want to slice and dice our data from the whole company but actually that doesn't interest everyone so as we are starting to put our new data analytics and our new data systems in place we are looking at ourselves and saying okay so what is it that we can give our business our brokers our clients more importantly that will be useful to them and in return therefore we'll get their data and we'll then be able to standardise that data and um, aggregate that data in the way we need to. So um, I think Howard, you said it, or Ben, you said it, you know, at the end of the day, it is about the client. So what can we do for the client? How does that then help the broker? How does that then help the, the business? And how does that then help our investors and our, sh- and our shareholders as well?
0: Yeah, and no, I definitely want to come back to that, to the, um, the client piece. But just first of all, Lynn, I think this is a really interesting point around... The incentives and, and how do you how do you create the incentives internally and i yeah i think also just sort of interpreting what you said around it has to start atop the company can you can you give us a sort of practical example about what you've done to encourage people to share data even if it isn't immediately obvious why there's well, a benefit of doing that
1: you know what it comes back to to the basics you know it comes back to sitting down with people talking through why you're having the conversation explaining that advantage to the company of getting the data right and then what we've also done in some cases is we've we've got the team to Put some ideas together around data analytics So put some ideas together about did you know that across your portfolio? We've got this insight or that insight and then that kind of draws people in so it, that model works quite well What also works very well for us in our company is If you get one leader interested in something and get him or her then to sell it to his or her peers, that's way better than the technology department trying to sell something. So that's another method that's worked well for us where where we've implemented something for for one team and and they've then gone and spoken to another team and and got that to work. What I'm really keen to build on even further is, some of our some of the younger people who've come into our organization who have really good ideas and are far less risk adverse, so, you know, far more interested in trying something else out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So grabbing onto those guys where we can, you know, we've even managed to persuade our business to have one of one of their individuals move into the technology team to work more closely with us, to come up with new ideas, to play around with innovation and then as I say, take that back into the businesses and see if we we can get them interested. We haven't had to get to carrot and sticks just yet. You know, I'm hoping we can keep it to carrots and uh, and and that that's the way we'll we'll keep moving forwards.
0: No, I think that's great. I mean, that bringing together both in the senior level and then giving opportunities to people who have sort of more recently joined it seems to make a lot of sense. How that when we were talking earlier, you had a similar theme with your own. I think your organisation and also the companies you've acquired around, you've got to bring them with you in terms of bringing them into the, into the company culture and, and presumably data is, is part of that. Could you just sort of talk a bit about that? Yeah,
3: I mean the one thing you can't do when you, when you are an acquirer of businesses is suddenly wave a magic wand and change people to, to the way you want them to, get, to be. So you have to work with the grain. Um, but as a result we inherit um, lots of old school ways of doing things. Um, you know, it'd be nice if you had one system in a business like ours, but sometimes it feels like we've got about 50 or 60. Um, and I think there's a, there's a balance between evolution and revolution. We can, we can um, as Lynn was saying, we can take parts of the business and slice them off and e-trade them and we'll find parts of our business who are very pleased with that and then look to, to, look to uh, widen that out. But that's only ever going to take to grab a small part of the business. And I think if you can use that as a, a puppy dog sale, maybe, to actually s- set up the the revolution. And as you know, we 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 are trying to experiment with a completely different way of dealing with dealing with customers as well. But I don't think we can suddenly throw it throw at people. Here's something new. You'll love it because they won't.
0: But your, your comment earlier, which I, I, mean, I think was slightly flippant, but also I think has, has got a lot of truth around it. You know the. the, the because technological revolution in insurance broking has been email in the last 40 years. That's a sad indictment of, of the insurance world if that's as good as it got. So I'd like to come back on that, just that last comment in a minute about some of the things you're doing and, and the balance of doing things within the organisation versus externally. But you know, not to forget the main reason why brokers exist is to service the client and, and of course, to make some money. Ben, um, you, t- you sort of mentioned that in passing, but what are examples where you've seen... You're being able to help your clients sort of with some of their ideas and be more effective through, through your own connections and sort of data access?
2: So very much for us, this is where you have a client problem uh, that you need to solve and often in order to solve that problem, you're going to need some insurers to support that risk that they're trying to tackle uh, and in some cases Aon already has the data that's required to present you know the the fair understanding of the risk the client's facing, but also to put forward a case to the insurer, they'll be able to actually knowingly support that risk in a safe way that they're comfortable with. Uh, what Aon has tended to do here is actually to go out for large uh, problems facing our clients or large risks um, and opportunities, and to actually go and get that data if it doesn't already exist. So uh, IP is a, is a really good example of this. If you look at the intellectual property world at the moment, we're talking about large companies you know, that have intangible assets. I think I saw a, a statistic recently that something like 85% of the S&P 500's assets are now intangible, uh, something like 20 trillion of, uh, of assets floating around there. Uh, how, how do you as a, a broker like Aon, if you want to be a partner to these companies, begin to tackle that risk? Uh, so actually we, we found the guys who are the best, we found a company called 601 West uh, in the U.S. who are an IP uh, specialists in patents etc, we, we've now brought them under the Aon company group in order to form a, an intellectual property solutions team that can help build solutions specifically for this type of company. Uh, that, that's just one example, but but in general, uh, it's, it's a principle I think that Paul Mang uh, once set out called Open Architecture Innovation. Uh, we're going to have to partner with new data sources, often startups, but also often large companies that can provide us with new ways of looking at risks that we haven't looked at them before, uh, in order to build solutions that actually help a client handle a risk. So, so picking up on
0: that, so my earlier question to you about how do you make an influence. It sounds like, for you, if the strategy of Aon is to solve big problems for clients or big emerging problems, which makes makes sense because that's a new greenfield area. If you can bring together or you can you know, external forces plus internal data and find clients, then you can actually create some real visibility and success and I think back to Lynn's point about so people are early, earlier in their careers and how do you motivate them, an organisation that can actually give people the ability to, to do that can actually you know, give keep people in the organisation and, and this whole challenge about how do you innovate um, ver, internally versus versus externally. Um, so Harden, can I come to you a minute on the innovation one but, but Lynn just in terms of the, the, just coming back to this whole issue about the data and organisation and um, what 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 do you do when it comes to sort of tools and processes that you find help make you more efficient when you're you're kind of you've incentivized people to collect the data you want to give them access to the reports how do you actually make that practical for people in in their day-to-day jobs
1: yes i mean you know our culture is very much not top down we do not tell people what to do we uh, we we when we acquire companies, it's all about supporting them to remain independent. And we, we really value that. Uh, it's at the heart of what we do. So it, it, we would not have a situation where, where as a CIO I'd be saying, you should all use a certain system um, or you should all do anything a specific way. But having said that, you know, the extent to which we can standardize our data, which is what we really want, the better. And so, again, through our, through our network of, of peers, talking to peers and learning from peers, um, one of the things that's definitely working for us is where we can get people to, to use the same system. So we, our Israel Howden um, office has worked with Novadia to actually bring out, um, sorry, build out a broking system that's fit for purpose for what they do. And then together with, with the technology team, We're now starting to spread that across to other parts of our company who, of course, operate in a similar way, remaining independent, but being able to build on the good work that's been done elsewhere. Now, that's great for me, because the more of our teams internationally use the same system, the more we can very easily force, without anyone feeling the force, um, some sort of standardization, because you've, you've got to standardize that data. You've got to at least all decide what we mean premium to to mean to you know and we've got at least all name our customers clients so by the same name I mean it's I know it's real basics but it's really getting that data integrity obviously what we've implemented a data warehouse and we are probably about eighty percent of the way through um, feeding that data warehouse with with the data that, that we have today but now we've still got a massive cleanup to do before we can really really get onto the sort of fancier data analytics that would sit on top of
0: that it sounds like I mean your role is you you sort of help people guide them towards the tools that are out there but you don't you don't sort of suppress them if they've got some good ideas and you let you let the great ideas flourish and yeah I think also when we were talking before you mentioned your legacy is not just about legacy systems it's legacy culture and it's legacy data Absolutely,
1: and, absolutely so it's legacy people I mean that might sound a bit harsh but you know, people who are successful, and we've got a lot of successful people in our business who've done things a certain way and see absolutely no reason to change it. And it's so uh, how you can influence and encourage them to change. Legacy systems where there's absolutely no, there's no business case to change them. They're working, right? So, you know, to come in and say, right, move on to a new shiny system. What's the return on that investment? So in some cases, what we're doing is sort of shrinking that record, system of record, back office um, system and looking at some new shiny front-end applications that are a lot easier to use especially where they are b2b or even b2c
0: i So, how you recently got involved or a couple of years ago got involved with a, with a new startup it, you you possibly could have done that internally and, and set up some innovation for it but you decided to go externally and make an investment could you just sort of talk about the thinking behind that and how that's getting on
3: sure and uh, i think you massively um, overestimate my abilities to 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 run such a scheme um, yes, I have known for years, that the, that the and, and I'm, I'm working at a much more, uh, much more mundane level than my two colleagues here, but we have known that the, that the back office systems that we all have to work with are varying forms of legacy going back 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and so yeah, John, John Warburton, who I know quite well, when he came to speak to me and said he's got, um, uh, he's got an idea, fortunately his idea chimed with mine. And he could he could bring to it uh, uh, an ability to run a project, and an ability to, to to run a software project, but he d- didn't really have a clear idea how an insurance broker would work. So it was a, it's, a, it's an ideal partnership. We can bring broking knowledge. He can bring technology and and uh, the vision. Uh, we've been working on it for 18 months or so. It's never finished. It's never going to be finished. But but. Uh, yeah, I'm not aware of anything else that I could buy off the shelf, and and there may be be others being developed, but certainly the traditional software is just not based around the customer, and it's not based around data. There's not one version of the truth. As Lynn is saying, um, her brokers will be doing things the way they've done them for years. They'll have data sitting in pockets all over the place. And never being reconciled, and, and there must be a huge amount of, of there must must be a huge amount of efficiency gains, but there must also be some extra insight that could be gained from from all this data we got locked away in a library somewhere.
0: So, so your your sort of advice for anybody else out there who is looking at partnerships, or, or maybe as a question, is that something that you can do? If you find the right partner, you can be somewhat hands off. You let them do the development. You check in and again. You give them access to your data, or is it? Yeah, for most organisations, is that going to be quite an all-consuming activity? If they're going to partner with somebody else?
3: Oh look, it's it's all-consuming. I'm just I'm just fortunate to have people who actually do the donkey work, so I can I can uh, say this would be a jolly good idea, and thankfully somebody else is doing it. No, there's a lot of hard graft in turning. What I described earlier as chaotic systems that we have at the moment, turning those into instructions and and the work of turning that into something a software developer can can understand. You know, that that involves the broker, it involves the uh, the software developers and the business analysts in the middle. No, there's a hell of a lot of work to sandwich those two together, just that I don't do
0: it. Now, Ben, one of the things you've done and I think this has been successful more recently in the last few years, but you've managed to create a much more integrated approach globally in terms of the information you're finding and feeding back and building that. Can you just talk a little bit about how that's working and how, you've, you know, how, how does Aon bring together people from different regions, different ideas into something that's coherent and you know, a bit of Lynn's point about why, you know, why would they bother doing it if it doesn't immediately benefit them?
2: Absolutely. I think that is the, the key point. There's got to be a benefit perceived uh, in collecting all of this data and arranging it very nicely. I think we were lucky that leadership had foresight quite a a long time ago that there would be a big advantage to collecting all of our data in consistent ways around the world uh, and and bringing it together has enabled us to really support all three of the areas that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this call. So uh, when you've got a really good data set uh, across insurance, across reinsurance, you can go to clients and you can help them understand what risks clients like they, the client, like, like those clients are facing, and then you can uh, help them understand what coverages they should be buying and, and what they should be expecting. You can also use that data to help benchmark insurers and help them understand, you know, which insurers have the best claim service, which insurers are the best rated. If, if all this data is at the touch of your fingers, then as a broker, you're transformed. But similarly, it means that your role as a broker towards insurers becomes much more uh, valuable. So, so in Aon Endpoint, my team. We spend a lot of time basically delivering very valuable insights from data. You know, we take all of the trading data and then uh, collate it with other external sources of data. We we acquired a company called Finacord recently that have amazing market data and views on that. And if you present uh, that view of the world and the ability to cut and segment the, the global insurance market into many many pieces, then the ability to match client need with insurer appetite is extremely you know enhanced by that process. Uh, and and again. It's something we do very successfully on the reinsurance side. I think for us now, having got our our ducks in a row, so to speak, with the data, the next step is how do we start doing more and more beyond the descriptive. So we think of data analytics at the moment quite often in terms of can we show what's going on, which really for the insurance industry is a big step, but actually outside of the insurance industry was something we should have been doing for a long time. Uh, And and what we are working on now, particularly in our our centres for innovation and analytics, uh, and, and an endpoint also is looking at how we can move from descriptive up to predictive, uh, prescriptive, uh, other forms of, of analytics, uh, such as trying to identify when risk events are going to happen before they do. Uh, how do you interact with, you know, predictive maintenance for clients and that type of data? How do you work out whether accounts are more likely to churn than others in different regions? There's so many types of analysis that you can do that's, that would not be possible without getting the data organised first. Uh, so good incentives, I'd say, for, for anyone else thinking of. Of investing in data,
0: great, and, and and the fact you can do that as a very large organisation means that that you know, as a concept you still got to actually figure out how to do it practically. But the, the sort of the idea of getting consistent data and encouraging people to share it, you know, an organisation of any size can do that, and that sort of innovation with a small I, as opposed to to a big a sort of capital I. So just as we as we get to, towards towards the end of the discussions, um, Lynn, you know, without giving away any state secrets, I'd be interested in sort of two related questions from you. So one is. Uh, what do you see as the sort of most, uh, one of the most interesting areas of development in the risk, area of risk for your clients, so solving the risk problem? Uh, and then secondly, you know, what advice would you have for other people out there who are trying to sort of figure out how do they get the most impact out of technology and innovation?
1: Yeah, I'll try and answer both those questions in, in, in a couple of sentences joined up because I think it's, it, it falls in one answer for us. Um, You know, innovation, you you need technologists, you you need people in the business. How do you work together? And so many organizations have tried it so many different ways. You know, you spin off a, a different team, you create an innovation team, you try and do it on the side of your desk. And we try to approach it a slightly different way, which, which is taking the learnings of, of, of what some of us have experienced elsewhere. And we've we've recently launched um, what we call our fourth leg of our business, which is called Hyperion X. And we've taken one of our best CEOs, Barnaby Rudd-Price, to lead it. Uh, Barnaby's a really strong leader. He's highly respected across the business. He understands insurance inside and out. He's up for innovation. He's got some brilliant ideas. And that, together with a really strong technology team, um, to to help you know develop ideas really quickly, to work in a highly agile way. We're busy sort of working our way through setting up DevOps. We we're training or or coaching business owners to become product owners. Uh, it's nothing new, you know. It's nothing new to the industry. But for me, it's that it's that combination of you know real experts in insurance who. Are willing to try something new, working very closely with a strong technology team. That's the secret sauce for me.
0: So sort of bringing, bringing best practices from elsewhere and, and bringing them into the insurance space. Um, Howard, you know, your advice to others and your know, one one area of risk you think is going to be, we're going to hear more about or more opportunities looking forward.
3: I think the main thing I would say is that. Um, innovation can be quite intimidating if you look at the really, the really brand new fintech and all the new terms that we, none of us really understand if we're insurance brokers. But actually small, modest innovations which will make you more efficient, which will have a huge difference to your customers. And a huge difference to your bottom line they can be very simple they can be very small just a little bit of e-trading of a scheme can make you massively more efficient and give the clients what they want so i, I you know I, th- I think it's a danger to think fintech is all about brand new startups one of whom i'm a partner with but i think it's it's equally if not more important for day-to-day businesses just to think what can i improve what can i improve by one percent five percent and that i think is 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 really vital um uh, yeah, as, as for for my my my, my big bet is my big bet is that we can actually come up with a system which does use artificial intelligence, does use for, for the to 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 enable me to give better value-added advice. Not to um, I think e-trading and what have you is very much considered a way of getting things cheaper, getting things quicker. I'm less interested in that, I'm more interested in getting better advice, giving people a better way of being able to do what they want, and, and for my people to be adding the value. And Ben, same
0: question for you.
2: For me it all stems back to the client problem, again, so understanding your client's needs, and they're the ones leading the change here. Uh, it's it's really a race to, to keep up with, with their changing demands as they face things like you know, reputation and brand risk, cyber risk, uh, you know, failure, failure to innovate, I think, was another thing that came up in our global risk management survey. Uh, we've really got to be there as their partner, helping them have the solutions they need. Uh, and, and as as part of that, you've got to have a certain baseline of, of technical capability, whether that's e-trading or whether that's new sources of data. Um, and that really is a full service broker today, is, is somebody who can bring all of those things together in one and then bring the partners along with them in terms of actually providing the insurance capacity.
0: Right. Well I'm, I'm glad we ended up with with the client because ultimately that's as I said that's what we're all, all here I think it's been very helpful to get all of your views and thank you very much um, Lynn Howard and Ben for being so open and sharing some of your ideas and you're know, making it making it um, in many ways if not simple at least sort of practical with some very I think good takeaways for people so we're going to wrap it up here um, as I mentioned we will be uh, sending this out as a as a podcast I'm sure if you want to reach out directly to any of the panelists you can track them down through LinkedIn. So with that, I'll say thank you very much and uh, good evening or good morning, depending on where you are in the world. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed the discussion. If you would like to hear more about Novidea and in particular see a video when Lynn Grobler talks about their use of Novidea, you can find that on the Novidea website.